Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. The vice president has committed to spend 40% of the climate investments toward disadvantaged communities. And that right there shows us the power of people. Hi, everyone. I'm Jonah Gottlieb, and I am the co-founder and executive director of the National Children's Campaign. And I'm Natalie Meebane, and I'm the co-founder and vice president of public policy and government relations for the National Children's Campaign. Welcome to Our Future Now. On this episode, we'll be breaking down the Trump environmental rollbacks, the new and improved Biden climate plan, how young people will be impacted by all this, and what you can do about it. And our guest today is Katie Thomas. She is the policy advisor for Senator Bernie Sanders, covering climate, energy, and environment, and Native American affairs. Katie works in the Senate office in Washington, D.C. So Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be with both of you, uh, despite the current um, virtualness of our coming together here, um, but I really appreciate it very much. Um, and I do just have to say at the top that I am here in my personal capacity, so I'm not here to speak on behalf of Bernie, but um, I am really excited to talk to you two about um, how we can continue to work together to solve the climate crisis. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you here with us. And, you know, just to go over, Katie, I know we've been working together now for five years, mm -hmm. uh, working on these issues, working on climate, working on energy, the environment, pipelines, policy, everything in between. It's been a, it's been a wonderful five years working with you on all these issues. Um, and, you know, it makes me remember how we actually met uh, we had just done the People's Climate March in Washington, D.C. in 2015. This was the smaller regional climate march because the big one for People's Climate March was in 2014 in New York. I remember we talked a lot that first day we met and we did like an impromptu lobby meeting on crude oil <laughs> exports, mm -hmm. which was the biggest thing at the time, trying to stop the United States from lifting the ban on exporting crude oil to other countries. Yeah. Um, we didn't win on that in the end. We didn't. And unfortunately mm -hmm. now we have seen the receipts that lifting the crude oil export ban um, was a really disastrous decision because there was a major uptick in oil and gas production here in the United States. Obviously that has changed since then, but mm. um, that was that yeah. is one policy that had a very clear linear impact on our climate. It's it's always painful to to lose on something, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's hard because you pour so much work into an issue and in the end, you know, the government might do something that you're not not a fan of. One other thing I know we worked on some years back that was really really close to our hearts was the Dakota Access Pipeline back in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, you know, I'm sorry I keep bringing up our losses. Uh, well, <laughs> you can talk about that fight, but you know that you have to end on a, on a good note. Fortunately, that is we true. actually had a recent court victory. The courts finally told the Army Corps of Engineers once and for all that in order to run the pipe under Lake Oahe, that they should have done a full environmental impact statement on that part of the project. 
the Army Corps of Engineers had inappropriately, according to the court, allowed the project to be approved under a NEPA loophole that covers entire geographic areas and allows for oil and gas infrastructure to be built without having to have an individualized impact statement for that particular project, or in this instance, the part of the project that has the most potentially environmentally destructive impacts, most immediate anyway, besides climate change, um, which is that a pipeline can rupture. And so the government had never taken a look at that part of the project. And so the court basically is now sending the Army Corps of Engineers back to the table to really carry out a full environmental impact statement on that part of the project and then to come back when they have done that. It's great news. So Jonah, why has the National Environmental Policy Act, which has been law for the last 50 years, been so important for all of our work? So the thing about the National Environmental Policy Act is that it's a preventative piece of legislation. And so what it does with the environmental impact statements is it allows communities and allows activists to go in and put a stop to projects that are going to be damaging to their communities before they're completed. And so there have been some great success stories with NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, including the state of Michigan saved $1.5 billion when a NEPA analysis revealed that they could improve an existing highway instead of constructing a new one. Another victory was when a federal judge in Alaska sent the U.S. Forest Service back to the drawing board with a plan to log centuries-old trees across 1.8 million acres of the Tongass National Forest, ruling that local communities had not had a fair chance to weigh in on the proposal. And so this really underscores the importance of NEPA and shows that when communities are given a fair opportunity to talk about the health impacts, the environmental impacts that different fossil fuel projects are going to have on them, we can achieve these victories. Without the National Environmental Policy Act, we would not have environmental impact statements. And so communities wouldn't even have the right to even analyze whether a project is going to be poisoning their drinking water or poisoning their soil or doing something else just as detrimental to the environment. And so because of this work that has been done in the environmental movement in the last 60 years since the introduction of NEPA, it's really been taken for granted just how important this law is and how how much we've been able to do and how many terrible things we've been able to stop because we've had this tool at our advantage. Jonah, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, I think one of the most important things when you talk about NEPA, honestly, sometimes people's eyes can glaze over. This is not very easy to talk about sometimes because it is done on the on on the beforehand, as it were. It is you're you are talking about a, a study and a report. This is real people's lives, and so it really matters to educate the public and to give them a sense of what a project's impact could actually be you kind of need the environmental impact statement. And one instance really that is awesome where communities came together, organized against the pipeline and were able to defeat it because they knew what the proposed environmental destruction could be is the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. And in that instance, not only was the public well-informed and the environmental impacts were being well-publicized, but actually the developers were the ones who decided to pull because 
those movements, those people who came together made it an unattractive investment. And that's why the Atlantic Coast Pipeline was ultimately um, withdrawn. It shows that you can't just stop. You can't give up. You can't think, well, it's going to be built. It's over. You have to still build the movement to defeat it. And, you know, what we're seeing right now is the current Trump administration of presidency is, is really pushing as hard as he can to roll back the National Environmental Policy Act. As we mm. mentioned, it is the most significant piece of legislation that we can really count to in the environmental movement in the last 50 years. It is the reason we've been able to stop pipelines along the way. And it's the reason that even the current Dakota Access Pipeline has now been paused. And we've seen these attacks just this week. The Trump administration has finalized their rollbacks of the National Environmental Policy Act. Everything from accounting for cumulative impacts, which is super important. If you're going to build a new highway, you have to consider the pollution from the new highway, but you also have to consider the pollution from nearby highways because that pollution, it doesn't just dissipate, it builds upon each other. It builds upon itself. And the communities that are close to, the, to that construction or close to that community are going to be impacted even worse when you build an additional source of pollution. His rollbacks would take away the assessment of cumulative impacts. And also, it would take away the assessment of climate when you're assessing these, these projects. That's right. And not only the cumulative impacts, but also the amount of time that agencies are given. The Trump administration is trying to put a very arbitrary amount of time to rush projects through and limit the community's ability to have a say in how a particular federal project might get carried out. These corporate polluters are deliberately going into communities of color, low-income communities, and building these disastrous and dangerous projects because they don't really care about the people that they could be poisoning, the, the lungs that they could be damaging by building these things. That's and right. Communities of color have long been disenfranchised from conversations that would allow their input to be taken seriously when it comes to their health and well-being. They don't care at all. I mean, we talked about this when we had Mustafa Ali on a few episodes ago when he talked about the impacts that coronavirus has on communities that already suffer from the most pollution. The communities down in Louisiana that are part of, you know, what people call Cancer Alley, also known as Death Alley, that have all of this pollution anyway, all of this industry, all of these refineries, and that they are the ones that are left behind. And that now the one piece of legislation that is designed to at least view those impact, impacts to prevent them is now being attacked by the current administration. And I think that that just shows you that it's not just a matter of just enforcing environmental laws, which his administration also hasn't done, but it's a matter of actually attacking the bedrock environmental laws that we have had to help keep us safe. And you know, luckily, y'all, luckily it's an election year. We're very thankful, at least, that it is an election year in 2020. Hallelujah. I know that uh, Vice President Biden just introduced an updated climate plan. Um, he'd had some climate plans out before, months ago, but this one was sort of a new and improved version. It is their recovery plan for the economy after coronavirus. And so he doesn't have a separate plan to get the economy back on track. It's through green jobs and it's through green union jobs, particularly, that 
is going to get the economy back to where it was and better than where it was before the pandemic. It means that we're going to be investing with the federal government in clean energy, in green energy, in sustainable infrastructure. That means that climate will be the Biden administration's top priority if he's elected. Yeah. And of course, coming from Bernie world, I have to jump in here and say that I um, was very proud to see the efforts of former Secretary of State John Kerry and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who co-chaired a task force that was really a unity effort between the Bernie campaign and the Biden campaign, because they were able to really put some teeth and some numbers and some goals around what it looks like to have an economic recovery plan that also could double as a a climate uh, solution. And so one piece I'm particularly proud that Biden has moved toward is being willing to name getting to net zero greenhouse gas emissions for our power plants by 2035. And this now allows us to hold his feet to the fire in ensuring that we are able to achieve those kinds of goals through deploying solar panels and wind turbines and ensuring that we are creating millions of union manufacturing jobs here in the United States to make all of that happen. Another part I saw that was really great and that I think is sometimes not looked at as much, it was to upgrade 4 million buildings and weatherize 2 million homes over four years, which the plan would create 1 million good paying jobs and with the choice of joining a union. The main thing I think about weatherizing homes is that before you think about how to create more energy, creating clean energy, the first step is to figure out how to reduce your energy, how to cut the waste of energy. And weatherizing homes, energy efficiency is the lowest hanging fruit there is. Not only does it save the homeowner money and the person who's living there and their families, it saves them money, it saves them, you know, from producing more pollution. And it actually is sort of its own power source when you think about it in terms of your heat, your AC is not just going out the windows. And also when you think about the quality of life impacts from a family whose home is now more energy efficient because of being able to get, you know, dollars to help upgrade it, weatherize it, remove other hazards from the home. A lot of older homes have, you know, hazards in them that can be very dangerous, especially to children. So we have to remember that it's not just about saving energy. It's about improving the lives of the families, especially of the children that most impacted. That's a really good point. Um, And of course, so here I am with another Bernie pitch. So the vice president has committed to spend 40% of the climate investments toward disadvantaged communities. And that right there shows us the power of people because that specific target um, builds on the work from the New York Renews Coalition in New York State. And they had a significant climate policy victory And it is something that we should all be looking to for how to build coalitions that successfully push through progressive climate legislation. Absolutely. And I think it just goes to show the power of people, and especially in an election year, when we're seeing not just with Trump's NEPA rollbacks, but his entire administration has just been all about bailing out his corporate buddies and putting people's health, putting people's environments, putting people's safety at risk. And so he's weakened fuel efficiency standards. He's frozen rules for, you know, soot air pollution. 
He's continued to lease public property from oil and gas companies and has continued to just bail out and subsidize these oil and gas companies time and time again. We've seen that obviously in his coronavirus relief packages that have been all about creating slush funds for these fossil fuel companies. And so it just goes to show how important this election is. And yeah, just and let's not forget that all those rollbacks are happening. The rollback of the car standards, the rollback of the mercury standards. Those things impact our pulmonary health, our lung health. And what else is going on with public health related to our lungs right now? The coronavirus. So at a time when our government should be stepping up and doing everything it possibly can to save as many lives as possible from this global pandemic, this administration is choosing to double down and make it even more dangerous, especially for these most vulnerable communities, which are most often black and brown and are most often low income. One of the biggest travesties is that, you know, environmental health is human health. You can't have an unhealthy environment and expect to have a healthy body, a healthy life. If your air is terrible and your children are bringing are breathing in polluted air from the moment they're born, what type of quality of life are they going to have? What type of impacts are they going to have in their, you know, from asthma to cancer and really lowering people's quality of life? We you know when we talk about environmentalism, it's not just about okay, we obviously care about natural spaces. They, they are beautiful, they're wonderful, they're peaceful. But it's also about just creating a space where all of us can grow up to be healthy adults and to not have our lives destroyed because of factors that we can't control. And, you know, going through this new climate plan, and I am very happy that Vice President Biden has taken in uh, so much feedback, honestly, from so many environmental orgs across the country and, and people working so hard. Um, one area that I do want to see to be made even stronger with time. And I think that we can definitely uh, keep pushing to get that is the initial investment in the transition to clean energy. The new plan calls for $2 trillion investment over four years. I know his initial plan called for 1.7 trillion over 10 years, which I don't feel like was enough. So I am happy that he's upped it to 2 trillion. Personally, I would love to see it go even stronger. I think we should raise it as much as we can. I would love to see anywhere from $10 trillion investments over the next 10 years. I know for Senator Sanders, his investment was going to be initial plan was $16.3 trillion over 10 years to transition to clean energy. So I hope we can get there. And I'm going to know that we're going to keep building the movement here at National Children's Campaign in order to get to where we need to be. The Biden plan and the improvements of the Biden plan shows that he is flexible and is willing to listen to people. And so the next step is mobilizing and pushing him even further and pushing Trump out of office and making sure that we are moving in a positive direction on climate instead of what Trump is doing, which is just continued rollbacks and continued attacks on the planet and on people's futures. I think the update to the Biden plan shows us that he is responsive to the people in a way that Donald Trump has never been. And in this sense, we know that not only are the people that the vast majority of the American people are with scientists, that they listen to the science and that they are looking for something to vote for, something to believe in. And I really believe that a plan to revitalize the American economy that centers 
good paying union jobs that could also help us really solve the climate crisis is something that is worth going out to the polls for. So I'm extremely excited to see the work that you all are doing. And I would encourage folks to think about their opportunity to vote for the climate in November, not only, you know, between the presidential level of the ballot, but all up and down the ballot. We've got all kinds of senatorial and gubernatorial races that are really important. And so I hope that this conversation helps people recognize the different ways that your vote can really matter, that the outcome of an election can have true consequence. Absolutely. And so educating people about these issues, how they're being impacted, how their health is being impacted, how the communities are being impacted, especially by these environmental issues that we're talking about, and then encouraging them, giving them the, the tools they need and the resources they need to empower them and empower their communities to take action and to register to vote. And so if you want to get involved in that effort, please go to voteforourfuture.org. That's vote, the number four, ourfuture.org. And please get involved. We're having a virtual bus tour from July through the election day. And so please get involved in that. Tune into our online live stream events and get involved. Please be sure to be voting and get your family and friends to be voting on behalf of our generation as we attempt to stave off the worst impacts of the climate crisis. This really does connect so well to Vote for Our Future. You know, we talk about our future. It's that collective fight for a world that is livable. It's that collective fight for a world where we're not suffocating from pollution or disproportionately exposed to the hazards. It's a world where things like coronavirus don't hurt certain communities more than others because they've already been suffering for decades with air pollution and every type of pollution you can imagine. And so I think this is that time that we're seeing just this week, in the same week, the rollbacks from the National Environmental Policy Act from the Trump administration, and at the same time, the introduction of this new climate plan from Vice President Biden. So you really can't see a starker contrast, really, in terms of what the priorities are. And I think that this is really the election that especially young people, first time voters like you, Jonah, this is going to be your first time voting, can really step up and make that difference and to ensure that we can have a healthy world that works for all of us. If you can travel in your mind back to when you were an 18-year-old activist, what Oof, advice would you have for your, journey. <laughs> what advice would you have for yourself back then? I think that activism and the world's problems feel so overwhelming that it can be paralyzing to take the first step. And so if I was talking to somebody who was maybe at the beginning of their activism journey, it's just to start small, to do something that is within your comfort level, you know, ask a friend. It is really easy to call your member of Congress and leave a comment. It is easy to email them. It is easy to get involved with your elected officials. It is pretty easy to write a letter to the editor. So Whatever it is that sparks your passion, you know, lean in and don't be afraid to be a part, however small, of this movement because we need you and we're very thankful to have you involved. I just want to say, Katie, thank you so much. I want to say thank, thank you. you. Just like to describe you and the work that you've done for this country and this world, I don't think I'd have enough time to. 
Katie, thank you so much for being with us this week. Well, just thank you all so much for having me. Uh, you know, I'm huge fans of yours as well. Um, and I really appreciate getting to spend some time with you and um, get to talk to you. I miss being with you, but I'm glad that we got to spend this time together. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Our Future Now. Be sure to check out the Vote for Our Future campaign at voteforourfuture.org. That's vote, the number four, ourfuture.org. We're going to be having virtual events and get-togethers all summer and fall through Election Day, November 3rd. So please be sure to tune in at voteforourfuture.org and check out all the ways that you can get involved and be a part of this campaign and organizing in your community and around the country through Election Day. Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. Our media partners are Parentology. I'm Jonah Gottlieb. And I'm Natalie Niebane. We'll see you next time on Our Future Now.